Welcome. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. Actually, it's Jeff Nine, whether we've met or not. Um, but uh, I, I'm one of the pastors here, and we would love to get to know you. So if you're, if you're new here, uh, please come up and say hi. I'd uh, love to answer any questions you have. Uh, I want to piggyback on and double down on, what, uh, on Ch- what Chad just said about those journaling Bibles. Uh, these things are so helpful. Uh, I've actually been using it all this week, even as I'm doing sermon prep, because I've got the, the page of the Bible or the text of the Bible side by side with some notes, and I'm able to just jot some stuff down where I don't have room in my margin in my other, in my other Bible, and that way it's not a separate notebook. And especially since we're going to be journey, journal, jur, journeying, this is going to go really well journeying through the book of Mark for a while, having that and, and having your notes and your thoughts and your questions as you read it and as we preach through it, it's just going to be really helpful for you. So I hope you'll take, uh, take advantage of that. Grab one of those, um, uh, as, as Chad said, $5 in the back, but we'll give them away if, uh, if, if that's an obstacle. Uh, the other resource, I think Chad mentioned this last week, is Tim Keller wrote a book called Jesus is King. I think it's uh, Jesus the King. Uh, in which what he does is he looks at who Jesus is through the eyes of Mark. And so this is a phenomenal book. And let me say this especially for for any of you, whether you've been a Christian for a really long time, you're going to learn a lot reading through this. But if you're not a Christian or you're not sure or you're kind of kicking the tires on church and Christianity and you just want to know what is it it that Christians believe about Jesus, this is an incredible book to just read through and to process. So we as a church want to be a place where there are no questions off limits. So if there's any questions you have about what we believe or, or what we're doing as a church, please ask, uh, and we would love to step into that. I just want to say this is a safe place to bring your questions, to bring your doubts, to bring confusion, uh, to bring whatever is kind of stirring in your heart, and we want to walk with you in that space. So uh, I'm excited about this journey in Mark that we started last week, and we're picking up uh, again this week. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Uh, there is a lot of beauty in this text. There's a lot of uh, rich, rich the, uh, things here um, that, I, that I want us to see, but we're not going to see it unless the Holy Spirit actually opens our eyes to see it. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark. Th- thank you that we, that we can read these words, uh, not simply to study an ancient document, but to actually find life and to meet the risen Savior. So I pray that today you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear what it is that you're saying to us today. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite uh, musicians, a guy named Jason Isbell. Um, Hopefully he's also one of yours. If not, you can fix that today on Spotify. Um, And one of his songs, uh, Stockholm, uh, really as I was working through this text and thinking about this, kind of arrested me. Uh, a little bit. Let me read these words, or part of the song, part of his lyrics. I've heard love songs that make a Georgia man cry on the shoulder of somebody's Saturday night. I read the good book, I studied it too, but nothing prepared me for living with you. Lock me up tight in these shackles I wear, tied up the keys in the folds of your hair, and the difference with me is I used to not care. Listen to this, Stockholm, let me go home. Now that may be a text that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the front end, just reading it like that, um, until you understand the context. Jason's writing these lyrics, writing this song in, in his album Southeastern, which came out, uh, which is first album that he ever put out or that he ever wrote after he was sober. 
Jason writes this song actually with his wife after uh, he, his wife and some friends had confronted him over his addictions. He had been caught up in alcohol. He'd, he'd been caught up in drugs. He'd been caught up in a mess and everybody around him saw that it was swallowing him whole and they had an intervention. Jason checked himself into a rehab facility and, and stepped into that facility and was able to get clean. And he writes this, these songs wrestling with this. The, the lyric there, Stockholm, let me go home, what he's referring to is what's called Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome. If you're not familiar with that, it's a, it's a syndrome that's, that's actually been shown sociologically and psychologically to happen often with people that have been, uh, that have been captured or taken captive or taken hostage. That there's a, a way in which somehow the way, that we br- the way that our brains work and the way that we relate is sometimes even with people that have, have, uh, have been taken hostage that over time they actually begin to build an emotional relationship and maybe even begin to love their captors. Stockholm Syndrome. I'm enslaved by something, captive by something, and yet I learn to love the very thing that captured me. And he's looking at his addiction going, Stockholm Syndrome. The thing that has trapped me, I've learned to love. But I love those last lyrics because what does he say? Stockholm, let me go home. He recognizes that there's something that has trapped him and pulled him in that he can't escape out of, but oh, he wants to get free. Oh, he wants to get free. Now, I think if you're, whether you're a Christian or not, that idea resonates. Because there are things in our lives that have trapped us, entrapped us, held us hostage, held us captive, that over time we begin to explain away, we begin to build emotional relationships with, and maybe at some point begin to actually love the thing that's actually destroying us. I think that's the similar kind of context to what's going on when Mark begins to write. Let's look at this passage again that Marissa just read. Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you step back and look at the Gospel of Mark, there are, some, there are some little things that you might miss unless you're looking carefully. And one of them is the way that Mark speaks about place. In this passage right here, he uses the word wilderness twice. He'll use it again in the section we'll talk about next week. And then he doesn't use it in this way, describing a place again for the rest of the book. Instead, he actually shifts the place from wilderness moving towards Jerusalem. It's a very intentional move. And what Mark's not doing is he's not just coming up with some rhetorical flourish. Mark is not just coming up with some idea or thought pattern that's like, oh, let's just add a little bit of decor to the writing. 
This one was in Jerusalem, and this one was in the wilderness. No, actually, he's making a theological statement. He's making a particularly profound theological statement when he places what happens in the wilderness. And the reason is because in Jewish thought, wilderness was something a little more deep and profound than a rhetorical flourish. In the, in the Jewish thought, wilderness had, had over, over the centuries come to, or come to be recognized as a place that was uncultivated and uninhabited. That there's a space in which, in Israel's history, they would find a place that was uncultivated and uninhabited. If I look throughout the Old Testament, you'll find multiple places in which wilderness shows up. If you um, watch some good Gerald, or Charlton Heston in uh, Ten Commandments, uh, the, uh, I, I'm, I, I wasn't alive or I wasn't alive when the movie came out, just in case you were wondering. I am old, but I'm not quite that old. Uh, and yet, this, that movie still got a special place in my heart. I don't know if it should, but it does. And, uh, and, and the, it talks about how God delivered Israel out of Egypt and was leading it towards a promised land, right? Well, that movie ends right at the edge of wilderness as Israel moves into wilderness. So what ended up happening in history was Israel spent 40 years tracking in the desert or in the wilderness, waiting for the Lord to lead them into a promised land. And it was a season that was defined by and described by and, and seen and felt by as a space of lack, something that was uncultivated and uninhabited. There was a space here in which there were deep longings that were unfulfilled. There were deep hopes that were unattained. For the Jewish mind, the idea of wilderness had deep historical and theological significance. And I'll, to show that, I want to look at Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. The prophet Isaiah is speaking here about promise from the Spirit, and he uses this language of wilderness to, to help us capture it. Isaiah 32, starting in verse 14. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, listen to this, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. This idea of wilderness is central to what he's seeing as a place of longing and desire for something that's yet been fulfilled. That actually the hope is that this space that's uncultivated will become a garden that turns into a forest. Do you see it? Do you see it? And so often, this describes our lives. We find ourselves in wilderness. We find ourselves in places of wilderness. We, find, we find ourselves in a space where we feel profound desolation, where we find deep need and deep lack. This was Israel's story. In these places of wilderness, they found themselves deeply longing for something they couldn't attain. It's much what I wonder that Jason's writing about in the midst of his addiction. He, he knows that there's something here that's killing his soul. 
And he can't seem to escape. Can't seem to escape it. But what's interesting is what you also see is throughout the Old Testament prophets, you begin to see a picture of wilderness that actually is a sign of hope. This is what Isaiah 32 is getting at. He's saying that in the spot of wilderness, eventually will come beauty and prosperity and flourishing. In other words, the place that has felt like desolation will become a place of beauty. Here's a question I have for you. In, in what ways do you feel the wilderness around you? I mean, each of us came into this room carrying different stuff. Some of us carry, came in carrying addictions we don't want somebody to find out about. Some, some of us stepped into this room uh, uh, feeling locked in, trapped in by a depression we can't seem to shake. Some of us are lonely and feel longings for relationships. Some of us may even be surrounded by people and feel loneliness. Some of us came in carrying a lot of loss and despair. We feel our need. We feel our lack. In fact, I'm going to guess that most of us at some level in life came in with some kind of feeling that way. Why? Because we live in wilderness. The voice of this text, the, the word of this text comes to us in our wilderness as it came to Israel in theirs. That's the whole point is this is not speaking to someone else. It's speaking to us. But throughout the Jewish tradition, this idea that the wilderness would be a place where Yahweh would meet them, it began to be seen as a place where there was the potential for new beginnings. Look again at Mark chapter 1, and let's look at chapter, or verses 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now this passage is attributed to Isaiah. It's actually a, a composite of a couple of different prophets and, and, and pieces out of the Old Testament that come together to form this idea. Now the Jewish mind, familiar with the Old Testament and familiar with, with Torah, would have known what was being said here was something more profound than we might hear just on first glance. That this idea was, 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 a, was, a Jew, was built on a Jewish expectation, recognizing their need in deep hope and deep longing, waiting for someone who, who would come, who would lead them out of wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, the text says. The Jewish people knew that preparing the way for the Lord, this voice crying in the wilderness was intended to be somebody who prepared the way for Yahweh himself, God himself to come to his people. Israel, a, 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 a nation and a people devoted to only one God, Yahweh, was longing and waiting for Yahweh to bring deliverance out of their wilderness. That's what they were longing for. That's what they were hoping for. And this says, prepare the way, get ready. Get ready, God's coming. Get ready, God's coming. Now, through those texts, what you will realize is that when God comes, he comes in judgment, he comes in deliverance, and he comes in renewal. But here's something that we can miss. In the Jewish mind, they hear these words and they know exactly what's being said. Mark is talking about a second exodus. A second exodus. Now, the first exodus, we, 
we know, or if you're not familiar with the biblical text, um, what, what, what is said in the history of Israel was that they had become enslaved, or they had been taken in as slaves in the nation of Egypt. They were not free. Whether Stockholm Syndrome was something that they felt or not, uh, they, it definitely showed up later uh, when they left Egypt, and they longingly looked back for the times when they could eat around a fire as they were walking in the wilderness. But in this, in this space, what they found was they found themselves trapped, enslaved, and God came and rescued them and led them through a wilderness on the way to a promised land, a, plan, a, a land that was, was the fulfillment of their hopes and their longings. And what Mark is saying is this. There's a second exodus. An, another exodus has come. We have been enslaved. We have been trapped. We've been taken hostage. But the Lord is coming to lead us out of that out of that bondage, through wilderness, to a promised land. It's a huge claim. Verses 4 and 5. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is picking up, again on this text, this promise of a voice, that John himself is the voice crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist is a big deal. He's a big deal in this text. He, he takes up a large section of this because he's actually, he's actually this voice that Israel has been waiting for for a really long time. Israel's been straining their ear, listening, waiting for this voice to say, prepare the way of the Lord. And here comes John, and he is that voice. This brings and rises all the hopes in, in Israel, brings all the hopes to the surface. This baptism this, uh, of forgiveness of sins, uh, the, it, it shows us two things. The first is it shows us that the problem ultimately with us is not out there, it's in here. That ultimately the problem that we have is not somebody else's sin, but mine. What's, what's fundamentally wrong with the world, what's fundamentally wrong and what creates my wilderness is not that I get to blame, is not outside of myself. It's actually within myself. Sin. And the call is to confess that sin, to leave it behind because sin brings slavery. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul connects baptism to Israel walking through the Red Sea. That in that Exodus journey, when Israel was leaving Egypt, heading into the wilderness towards the promised land, they walk through as God parts the waters of the Red Sea and they walk through it. That the waters themselves create an opening, a deliverance for the people of Israel in the same way that baptism does for us. There's, there's deliverance there. See, in the middle of this wilderness time that Israel hears these words that Mark writes, these, when, when, when Israel heard the voice of John the Baptist, it was speaking into a wilderness. It speaks into them in their wilderness. But the whole point is not to see John. I said John's a big deal, and he is a big deal in, the, in this sense. He's the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And yet the whole point of this passage is not to see John. Who are we supposed to see? Jesus. The whole point 
of John's voice crying out in the wilderness is not, look at me, but look at him. This passage, uh, let's read in verse 7 and 8. And he, John, preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's easy to lose sight of something deep and profound happening in this text. See, as the Jewish people had an understanding of wilderness, they also had, an, had this hope and this longing for a Messiah who was to come, a, a chosen one who was to lead them out. And most in Israel at this point began to think that that Messiah was going to be like another prophet. Moses had come in Exodus to lead the people of God out of Egypt into a promised land. God had given them David. And David had brought them from being a fledgling, uh, really disorganized uh, uh, group of of people to, to a kingdom of strength and power and might. He'd bring, he'd brought prophets Isaiah and others, to speak the word. And many expected that another prophet who was better was going to come, this Messiah. And what's declared here is that this one who came, Jesus, is the Christ or the Messiah. But he also says this, the text also says this, he's the Son of God. This isn't just a person. It's Yahweh himself. That in this text, what we see is Israel wasn't waiting for just a better prophet. They needed Yahweh himself to come. Now, this would have scandalized Jewish minds at the time. Yahweh doesn't take on human flesh. Yahweh doesn't doesn't walk around like a human. The text is even more scandalous than that. It's not just that he walks around like another human. He has taken on flesh and become human. Yahweh himself has come as their Messiah. In Jesus, Yahweh himself has come as their Messiah. And he comes bringing two things. He comes bringing cleansing and power. Cleansing and power. As we said a while ago, the the problem, what, what creates the wilderness is actually our sin. What I need is I need to be freed from my sin. I need to be freed from the trappings of what's going on inside of my own soul. I'm not going to get out of wilderness because you shape up. I'm only going to be able to get out of wilderness because of something that happens in me. I need cleansing from my sin, the sin that has fractured my relationship with Yahweh. I need to find healing. I need to be cleansed. Baptism Watching Piper be baptized this morning was so beautiful because there's this symbol that represents a deep reality in which because of what Jesus has done, her sin was washed away. She's cleansed. But John's not done, is he? When he talks about, when he talks about this, he says, not only has Jesus come, who's one who he can't even untie this, his sandals. He's not even worthy to do the, the typical slave uh, action of untying a master's shoes. John's not even worthy to touch his feet. And then he says this, I baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what you're, we're going to find as we walk through Mark is this idea of spirit in the beginning is really deep and profound as, as well. There's so much going on in this text. But what it's introducing us to is our desperate need for a power beyond ourselves. What I don't just need in wilderness is a fresh start. I need power. Because the only thing that's going to break the strongholds of, uh, of Stockholm Syndrome in my own life, the only thing that's going to free me from my own addictions, from those, own things that, or from those things that enslave me, the only thing that's going to do that is a power outside of me. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not brave enough. I need power. You need power. And that's the promise of this text. That in the place of wilderness wandering, in the place of wilderness wandering where we feel, where we feel these competing forces, this uncultivated, uninhabited land that's infecting our own souls, we need deliverance, we need cleansing, and we need power. So here's a question I have for you. Where do you need that power today? Where do you need the Spirit of God walking with you in life. I hope this doesn't, well, I don't care if it offends you. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you're not cute enough. You're not brave enough. You're not courageous enough to do this on your own. The only way that you're going to be free from the trappings of your own sin and entrapped in, in, in by the wilderness wandering, the only way you're going to be free is for the Holy Spirit of God himself to bring power because of what Jesus has done. Our hope is not in a better prophet. Our hope is not in a smarter prophet. Our hope is in the fact that Yahweh himself comes to rescue us. That's our hope. A little bit later in that same song, Jason writes these words. He goes, in the night, it's so long, I used to pray for the daylight to come. Folks back home surely have called off the search and gone back to their own. What he's referring to here is the fact that his, the, the addictions and the, the trappings of his addiction had so swallowed him up that it felt like darkness. He was just longing for some kind of light. And that many of his friends had come searching for him to come find him in the darkness only to bag it up after a while because they can't find him and head back home. And what he says is, I don't want to love the things that have enslaved me anymore. Stockholm, let me go home. The cry of our heart, the cry of our heart is to the wilderness Wilderness, let me go home. But the only way we're delivered out of, through the wilderness, into the promised land, is that Yahweh is at our side. So if you're a Christian, the only, the only way that you can, the only way that you can confront the own sin in your own soul, confront the brokenness of the wilderness around you, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian here today, it's not a matter of being smarter braver, stronger. It's about saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. It's saying to the, to the 
the, the, the sovereign God of the universe, I need you to rescue me. I need you to bring freedom. And here's the beauty. That Yahweh did not say, hey, come out of the wilderness and find me. Yahweh came to the wilderness and found us. He sought us. He seeks you.